Hey folks, this is the Subtle Doctor, and what you're about to hear is the first episode of the Kick the Beckett podcast, episode zero, and it's actually also the first episode of the podcast's miniseries Experiencing Evangelion, and James Beckett, host of that podcast, has asked me to co-host that with him very kindly, and I wanted to put the very first episode in the feed here so that you all knew about it and you all got a flavor of what it will be. I won't steal James's thunder here and talk too much about the format of the podcast or what we're going to do, but uh, suffice to say, if you are interested in our Evangelion opinions, if you enjoy Evangelion, this is something you'll want to hear, so go and subscribe to the Kick the Beckett podcast on iTunes, uh, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts so that you won't miss uh, an episode of Experiencing Evangelion with James Beckett and myself. Let's get to the show. Hey everybody, James Beckett here. And I'd just like to thank you all so much for joining us on this inaugural episode of the Kick the Beckett podcast. If you don't know me, I'm a freelance critic, a writer for sites like Anime News Network. I have a blog that's also called Kick the Beckett. And the whole goal of this podcast is going to be to take a deep dive that celebrates the best and sometimes the worst that pop culture has to offer. Movies, video games, television, the works. The miniseries we're launching with is called Experiencing Evangelion. As of June 21st, 2019, Netflix will have released both the anime, Neon Genesis Evangelion, as well as its two accompanying films, Death and the End of Evangelion, which marks the first time these properties have been made legally available in the West for years. This first episode zero is a conversation that I recorded with my co-host Doc, aka The Subtle Doctor, as kind of a preview of our overall thoughts and feelings of the show. After that, each episode of the miniseries is going to be a hybrid podcast commentary track that will cover four to five episodes of the anime at a time, as well as an individual commentary track being recorded for each of the movies. The idea is going to be that you can listen to the episodes of the podcast on their own like you would any other podcast, or if you want, you can sync the podcast up to the Netflix version of the series, and you can watch along with us in real time like a DVD commentary track. Now, Doc and S conversation was actually recorded a couple of days before Netflix launched the series on June 21st, which means there are a couple of instances where we speculate about the performers being cast as the characters for the new dub, or the translation that the show is going with, that have obviously had a lot more developments over the past couple of days, and we'll be discussing those in a lot more detail once we get to the commentary tracks in future episodes. Thank you so much again for joining us, and if you like what you hear, please subscribe, leave us your feedback on whichever podcasting services you use, and if you want further updates from me or news about future episodes of the show, follow me on Twitter, at KickTheBeckett. And now, here is episode zero of Experiencing Evangelion. This is man's ultimate fighting machine, the synthetic life form known as Evangelion, Unit 1. Built here in secret, it is mankind's last hope. So first things first, I'm anticipating that a lot of you guys listening to this might not necessarily be super familiar with Evangelion. It's, you know, been in the conversation forever, but it's been out of print in the West for many, many years now. It's been almost impossible to get on DVD for a reasonable price. And, you know, if you haven't been illegally pirating it, pretty much the only 
normal means for people to experience the franchise has been through the the rebuild movies. But we're here talking about the original television series, first and foremost. And Doc, before we dive into the specifics of the show and, and kind of our thoughts and feelings on the whole thing, I just want to ask, when was the first time you saw Evangelion and what kind of impact did it have on you? I think I saw it first in 2000 it would be 2003 or 2004. I was a sophomore in college, which I started in 02. So it would have been either 03 or 04. And a uh, friend of my brother's had gotten some bootleg Evangelion DVDs off of eBay. So <laughs> I would I would go on to buy the series legally much later. But uh, I recorded those to VHS tape. Uh, and this will be important for uh, something I share in a moment. But I watched those DVDs with my brother for the first time. And I remember thinking, like, whoa, wow. <laughs> you, you went full Keanu Reeves. Totally. I was disoriented. I was uh, flabbergasted, bamboozled, caught off guard. I was, uh, my heart was kicked a little bit. But... As a as a nineteen year old, uh, my own kind of critical chops and ability to articulate why things were affecting me in the way that they were was pretty much uh, pretty nil. <laughs> it was it was much lower uh, than my still very low ability to do that now. It's 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 even worse, which is bad. Uh, but but I still felt like wow, this is a thing that I. Like, I, I like it made me feel these deep things. Uh, I don't know how to express them. And so I, I like I said, I, I took those uh, VHS recordings from the DVD. And this was the dub, by the way, that I watched, the English dub. So I took that back to college with me. And I watched it, like, almost immediately after I had seen it, the TV series, with my best friend. And he was like, yo, what the f***? <laughs> Uh, oh, can I swear on this podcast? <laughs> I didn't even forget to ask that beforehand. Well, you know, I, I feel like at least one like full clear WTF is pretty warranted for Evangelion. That's like one of the most common fundamental reactions to that show for reasons that we'll be diving into very deeply as we cover the series proper. Um, but so you so you first saw it in college. That's right. I first saw it in college and, and to to pick up uh, well, so my th my reaction to it will change because, again, first time I saw it was wild. The second time I watched it with my friend, he was very much he was very down on it. He was like, "Look, what happened? Like it's incomprehensible. They can't get away with this. They have swindled you. They have swindled me. Like I have no idea what happened. This is like just." nonsensical and it's bad uh what the hell you know is is happening and then i was like you know what you're right because i can't understand it it's bad <laughs> so objectively uh your reaction did that include the um the theatrical end of evangelion movies or was that just the 26 episodes of the anime it was just the anime i would I would see the end of Ava movie uh, a little bit later, but that's the only time I've seen it. So I actually haven't seen that film in 
like almost 20 years. Oh man. <laughs> like this makes that makes me so excited for what's what's to come. That movie is that movie is a lot. But no, you're right. Yeah, the original series, it is infamous, I think you could say, for having an ending that doesn't necessarily tie up all of the the plot's loose ends. We we start off with, you know, this kid, Shinji Ikari comes to Tokyo 3, the whole world is kind of screwed over by apocalypse and it's it's just starting to rebuild and you know, over 26 episodes of the show you know tells this incredibly compelling you know dramatic like you said kind of heartbreaking story about these kids that are forced to pilot these giant robots to fight these monsters and then in you know in that final stretch especially in those last two episodes you know a lot of people feel like the story is not wrapped up in a in a traditional or a traditionally satisfying way once you got around to it that second time, that was kind of how you felt about the, the 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 show as a whole. Yes, that's right. Um, I was wrong about it. Is a neat way of summing it up. I was <laughs> dumb. I was a kid. Uh, I was again very much like because I can't understand it uh, on my own, then it's bad. So, but yeah, I mean, it's not to to downplay anything that you said. It is a very complex show. It, it it does tie up in an unconventional way, but that is what's really special about it. And I will talk about, of course, the ending in in great detail as we as we view it. But I think it's the ending of the TV show is incredibly special and important to me. Um, so this brings me to, of course, you may be thinking, wait a minute, how did you get there? Uh, that's because. Over the years, I, I kind of fell out of anime fandom a little bit uh, after college as I went into grad school. Uh, and then in the it must have been 2009 is when I really plugged back in and started to invest in anime as a medium. Uh, and by that, I mean, like, get really involved in the community, start learning about people who created it and kind of who they were and what they did. Tried to watch like the seminal works of anime and rather than like relying on, you know, like a show's key art to determine whether or not I should watch it. <laughs> uh, but like, so I uh, would hear on like podcasts like Anime News Network and Anime World Order, I would, I would hear them talk and have guests on to talk about Evangelion and the way they talked about it uh, was so deeply fascinating to me that I just began to wonder as, as I heard more and more, is there something I'm missing? Like this sounds so uh, deep and, and complex and multifaceted and uh, about uh, these, these things I've been learning about in grad school, philosophy, psychology, like, you know, I, it sounds like something I'd love to sink my teeth into, but you know, was I just wrong about it? And so uh, a couple of years later in, I think 2012, uh, you know, right around the time it went out of print, like I was able to get one of those uh, super cheap box sets that Right Stuff was selling. I think that for a while they were selling like the Perfect Collection or something for twenty bucks. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, like the the Platinum Collection. The Platinum or, Collection um... it was yes. Uh, so I picked that up and it's like okay, gonna rewatch this. And uh, I think you can still find uh, on my old anime blog uh, my reaction to it. Uh, I was very much blown away by it. You know, at that time, I'd, I had been through, like I said, I'd been through, I'd gotten several degrees. I had um, started a family. Uh, I had lost people close to me. Um, 
you know, I had become a father, uh, all this life. I had been diagnosed with anxiety disorder, uh, depression. I would later come to find out as well, OCD, mental health stuff. So all this life experience that really helped me identify with and uh, just kind of connect with the characters and the tone and the messages of the show way more. And I got so much more out of it. Um, And I hope this is not coming off as like, you have to be old and wise to understand Evangelion because this is not what I'm trying to say at all. I'm saying I was um, silly and wrong and I have come around. And I think like that that life experience is what helped me kind of uh, plug into it and want to give it a chance along with the like the passionate uh, and intelligent discourse about Evangelion that I heard. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think that your your valuing of that life experience is off base at all. I mean, it's really interesting because it, it it's such a different, but also not that different experience compared to, you know, my time with the show. Because when I first saw Evangelion, I'll never forget it, actually. It was like, it's like one of those anecdotes that's burned into my memory. I was probably about, I was about 12 or 13. And, um, you know, I was right around the time where my taste in anime was growing beyond just whatever Toonami was showing. The local library was constantly kind of stocking up on whatever anime DVDs they could get. And so I was always checking out new shows and my my tastes were expanding and I was really getting into the medium. And my father took all of us on a road trip to Las Vegas. And my dad's always been a tech nut. And so for that trip, he actually got... And this will seem quaint now, but at the time it seemed completely mind blowing. He got those those portable DVD players that yes. you can like strap to the back of a seat. So when you're on a road when you're on a road trip, you can just pop in a movie and watch it like you're in an airplane. And we were super excited for it. And my dad gave my siblings and I each like forty bucks and said, "Run into the Best Buy, grab whichever DVDs you want, and that'll be what you get to watch on this uh, road trip." And you know, I've always been the kind of kid that whenever we're at the mall or whenever we're kind of, you know, shopping around, I immediately just sort of window shop in the DVD section just yes. to see what's out. Yes. And that that Platinum Collection, you know, that Neon, that Neon Genesis Evangelion Platinum Collection, um, you know, I'd been eyeing that for a while, mostly because I thought the girl with the red hair on the cover was really cute. But, <laughs> you know, what can I say? I, um, I you know, it, something about it seemed... And you stumbled on the enduring legacy of the show. I did well because you know at the time, at the time I wasn't necessarily trolling forums. I wasn't really involved in any kind of fandom discourse. Um, my only experience with anime was whatever I personally could get a hold of and whatever my friends could get a hold of. But I really had no idea what the show was outside of just being vaguely aware that it was a popular show, you know, I would see some issues of new type USA and the characters would be on there. And so I knew that it was like a thing, but I had no idea really what it was about other than that it had giant robots. And I didn't really know about any of the controversy or any of the kind of more mature and complex themes that it, you know, eventually deals with. Um, I just thought it had cute girls and giant robots. And so I picked it up and I started watching it on that road trip and I got so engrossed that um, uh, during that trip, you know, it, me being a teenager and it being a uh, uh, a Las Vegas trip, I, I couldn't really like go hang out in the casinos. And so I literally just, I brought that portable DVD player into the hotel room and I just, just plowed through 
almost all of Evangelion over the course of like a single weekend. That sort of inexplicable quality to the show that that you know WTF factor that I've never seen anything like this. It's unconventional. It's weird. You know that's what immediately drew me into it. But I will also say, at the time, being as young as I was, there were definitely aspects of the show I was really able to sort of viscerally and emotionally appreciate. And there are many aspects of the show that I've, like you said, only really been able to fully contend with and and fully have perspective on with the passage of time. It's sort of funny Uh, There are aspects of the show that when I was 13, I thought made it super deep and super interesting and, you know, unlike anything anyone had ever made before. And now that I'm older, uh, those parts of the show, which we'll talk about the kind of weird, crazy um, allusions to, you know, Judeo-Christian mythology. To me now, that stuff is kind of the least interesting part of the show. That stuff is, you know, it's just kind of, it's there. But at the time when I was 13, you know, I was running around pretty much telling anyone I could like, Oh, you got to check out the show Evangelion. It has all this deep religious symbolism that like, I don't even understand because I'm 13 <laughs> and I kind of wish I could go back in time and be like, look kid, maybe you're, you're looking at the wrong things um, <laughs> or maybe not, you know, we'll talk about that. But let me ask you doc, when you finally have that, that realization or that kind of that reaction to the show that sort of cemented it as a title that you really appreciated and that you really got a lot out of what, what would you say was your main kind of takeaway? Well, as a caveat to what I'm about to say, 13 year old, you and 19 year old me, the show did get its hooks in us and hopefully we'll get its hooks in, in other people, even though we didn't sort of understand uh, much of it, you know? And so there are, I think the show's imagery is like so iconic that that's a way that uh, that it can connect with people. And I think it is uh, for some reason, I don't know, maybe it's more kind of uh, acceptable. Maybe it's always been acceptable and, and it, it just wasn't something that I was thinking about. But like to enjoy a series that way, you know, to just really connect with the, the mood and the visuals and not care as much about every little thing and looking up every reference and like having like a coherent, like, okay, this is the philosophy of the show or whatever. Um, I, I think all that's like super valuable and you're able to do it with Ava, but like, I, yeah, I just think that there's so many ways that the show can grab you. Um, and they're all valid, you know, even if it's like the characters, you know, like you said, like, I think, I mean, this is like, one of the only anime that I can think of who's like the characters have just endured for so long. And I think even without the rebuild movies, like the merch would still be like, they would still be churning out new Oscar Ray uh, figures. Right. Um, Because those characters, their designs their and everything about them are so, I mean, I use the word iconic. That's the only word I can think of to describe them no, as well. No, I, I, I absolutely agree. It, you know, it's really funny that you say that, that you mentioned the um, 
just the, the raw power of the show's visuals, because I totally agree, I think. And we're going to, you know, it's going to be something that I'm going to have to be careful of uh, as we go through those commentary episodes, because I know for a fact that every other shot, I'm going to be like, iconic shot. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the shot that has been, yeah. that has just been cemented in the anime uh, visual lexicon forever. And it's interesting because that actually, there's a tweet that I read just the other day that I think perfectly described the way that Evangelion got its hooks into so many people, but they, uh, they described Evangelion as, um, you know, imagine if something as bizarre and visceral and raw and completely indecipherable to some as Twin Peaks, the return. But if it had the cultural impact of a Star Wars movie, (laughs) you know, imagine if literally every person in America binge watched Twin Peaks The Return at the same time and just imagine what that would do to like the, the cultural conversation. Yeah. And that's exactly what Evangelion did. And that's what I'm what I think it will do again once it's available on Netflix is that it, you know, it has that power to just hook you with its characters and with its story. And it occasionally uses that power to be, I think maybe a good word for it is challenging in mm-hmm. ways that that fans might not necessarily be used to. Although, I mean, so many shows have aped the Evangelion formula that I'm also wondering if, if maybe it'll, it'll seem like passe hmm. to, to, to new viewers. It, it's almost a cliche to say this in this day and age, but it really is true that, I mean, Evangelion completely changed anime forever. Like there's pre- and post Evangelion. Totally. And, totally. And like you, and just to cut it really quick, like you talk about Dragon Ball, like Dragon Ball, you know, there's a lot of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball is still going. And like people might think, oh, Gundam, Gundam had this. There's, there will always be Gundam. There will always be new Gundam happening to like stir up the fan base and get them to, but for a while there was just this one TV show and the movie. And it still fueled everyone's imagination for decades. You know, for those of you that maybe don't have as much of a a relationship with Evangelion, you didn't get to watch it when it was on DVD, or you've only gotten to see like the new rebuild films, and maybe you're not so familiar with the, the show itself. It's really, really hard to overstate just how much of an impact the show had. Like it, to the point where people don't even realize that they've been impacted by it. You know, they'll Mm. see shows that are directly or indirectly taking their cue from this series and, you know, they will love them or hate them or have whatever opinion that they want to have about them, but they might not even know that like, this is specifically trying to play off of something that Evangelion did or the Evangelion played off of from an older series. And it's kind of the cycle that's recurring over and over. And so something I'm really interested to see is, is just what people are going to make of the show and whether it's going to have the same kind of impact for people that have grown up in a world with, you know, Raxaphon or Darling in the Franks or, you know, Monica Magica. Absolutely. And so I should just now directly answer the question and not, you know, continue to just throw caveats to my answer out there. Sorry about Please. that. Ca- but, um, caveats are welcome. This uh, is a, this is the caveat corner as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so, well, I mean, for you, that will be accommodating to me. You pretty much have to make it so when I'm on the show. But uh, so like to so what is my main takeaway? 
from TV show, I think it would be. Oh, it would be the depiction of an understanding by the creators to depict, uh, like various psychoses and mental health issues, um, in a way that deeply resonates with me. And I think will really resonate with a lot of people and it will be a hard watch for a lot of people. And, and it's partly why I don't watch like rewatch the show as you know, as highly as I think of it, I mean, for me, it's like a top three all-time favorite anime. Um, but but I don't revisit it a lot because that stuff is so raw and so difficult, despite, I think, the ending of the TV show being this really beautiful uh, kind of uh, way to get to self-acceptance. Um and oh, I yeah. think it really... you know, I, I'm, I'm, so, I'm just, I'm so happy you said that. Um, you know, this is, and and we'll be talking about this quite a bit, especially when we get to the ending. But um, you know, there's, there's a, it's almost become kind of like a meme that, um, especially the movie, the end of Evangelion, not just like the, the end of the show, but like the specific film, the end of Evangelion. Right. It, it's almost become a meme that it's like this unbearably depressing, nihilistic, bleak, upsetting work of art and it definitely has shades of all those emotions you know yes. like you said that it's not an easy sit it definitely goes out of its way to, to kind of push people out of their comfort zones but um you know one of the hills that i am gonna be willing to die on <laughs> is that evangelion is ultimately like you said an incredibly hopeful show it is an optimistic series you know it's not out to make people feel bad it's not out to make people feel depressed themselves but i agree i think you absolutely are right when you say it it empathizes yes with those feelings of depression loneliness um you know that uh, difficulty connecting with other people it empathizes with those emotions so deeply and i think so unabashedly that you're right a lot of people might look at that and go oh this is too depressing this is too sad this is too bleak but yeah no i um i'm actually really excited for people to see the series in its full context finally after all these years because my hope is that you know people will have a very similar takeaway to to what you had and which is you know this is a show that is about hope Mm -hmm. And also about, you know, giant robots punching big old monsters in the face, which it's easy to forget sometimes. Like, uh, you know, we've spent the last half hour talking about these psychological, emotional underpinnings to the show. But the highfalutin. Uh, the highfalutin part of it. Stuff, yeah. But, it, you know, what, what people might be surprised, um, you know, especially if they've never seen the movies or anything before, you know, for a good portion of its runtime, Evangelion is just it's a kick ass anime about giant robots punching monsters in the face and it, it takes a while to get to those those more the, those deeper themes and ideas it, it definitely makes sure to entertain as much as it mm -hmm. engages with less pleasant ideas you know speaking of the kind of meme that evangelion has managed to become over the years yep um one of the biggest i think memes to come out of evangelion is you know getting the robot? Don't say you. it. You said it. <laughs> I know. Oh, no. I know. Oh. It's it's one of those things where I I I've met people. I've met 
you know, I um, at the school that I teach at, I run an anime club, you know, and I have a lot of, of young up and coming anime fans, you know, God help them. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's getting more and more uh, crazy by the day to, 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 to belong to this wonderful and, and occasionally wild fandom. You know, I've heard like they've yelled at each other, like get in the robot. And none of them have ever seen Evangelion. They barely even know what it is. The rebuild movies are out there, but, you know, 13-year-olds aren't, like, going out of the way to buy quasi-remakes to 20-year-old shows that they've mm-hmm. never seen. Yeah. And so the, the idea of of Shinji, you know, the, the main character of Evangelion, becoming this sort of iconic symbol of... I don't know, what would you, cowardice? Yeah, impotence. um, (laughs) Impotence. Uh, A lot of less than savory types would say he's kind of an anti-masculine figure Um, or he he does not slot neatly into what a lot of people would would describe as traditionally masculine or heroic uh, features, which, um, you know, I've definitely heard a lot of people use that argument to be super gross, but you know, it's one of those things where it also doesn't necessarily become a meme without having this underlying foundation of, I mean, if not truth of, you know, a reference point that everyone can kind of agree on. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, let me ask, and I'm guessing, you know, your opinion probably shifted over time, but of Shinji Ikari, the, you know, uh, ever conflicted, ever tortured, ever hesitant hero of Evangelion. Um, was there ever a time where you just were not on board with him as a main character or was he one of the aspects of the show that kind of always clicked with you? Oh yeah. Uh, in the, you know, my early watches of the show, uh, you know, and I think, look, I, <laughs> that may me make you mad by saying this because and I know that there are a lot of fans of the original dub out there. And I, and I do like that dub um, in, in a lot of its aspects. But uh, I don't think that the the character and that kind of image, uh, like the, the English voice, uh, it, it just exacerbates all those qualities that that annoy people about him. So um, you're referring to um, to Spike Spencer, the original English voice mm-hmm, actor. For I am. Yes. Yes. And, uh, you know, uh, this is not me saying, oh, I know who should have played him and done a better job. But I definitely remember thinking uh, as I watched it the first time, like not the whole way through the show, but just at different points, like, God, you're just annoying. (laughs) Like, God. And, and, uh, you know, at times he would definitely grate on me. But like going back, right, and like watching it the the last couple times um and watching it uh those times in japanese god i sound like such a fucking subs elitist oh excuse me i i sound like such a, a darn subs elitist uh which i'm not hey, um, subs versus dubs man you gotta pick a side <laughs> you had to write uh, you gotta pick like, a side man <laughs> but that's uh the the last couple times i watched it uh i'm, I'm totally come around on i mean i think the characterization is is beautiful like i'm just because of how i mean i think everybody can see like the worst parts of their but only the worst is probably wrong but like uh, yeah maybe even like the worst parts or are parts that they just don't like we'll say uh 
of themselves in in Shinji. And I definitely see a lot of my own uh, bad tendencies there. And we're all cowards sometimes. We're all impotent. Like, but, you know, if you watch the show in its full context, like he also has these incredibly heroic moments, moments where he rises to the challenge, uh, but life will still continue to beat him down nonetheless. Uh, but I just, I think it's wonderful. And I think it's, he, he is the reason that the show works like because of his, like his amazing journey from where he, where he begins to kind of how he, again, in the end of the TV show anyway, I feel uh, accepts himself. I feel that's such a beautiful journey and it's so earned because like we talked about um, his uh, hangups, his deficiencies, his uh, issues are on full display and they are deeply explored and they're not copped out on. Yeah, no, he's, I mean, I think at the end of the day, what bothers people about, Shinji, not to oversimplify things, but I think what bothers a lot of people about Shinji is that, you know, he's a 14 year old boy. Yes. But he actually thinks and acts and reacts like a 14 year old would, I think, Mm -hmm. or like many 14 year olds would. Um, He's not especially skilled at being a hero in the ways that you might expect an anime hero to be. Especially for the genre, right? I mean, it's like we said, yeah. it's like a super robot show um, that does take a lot of its influence from from kaiju and like Ultraman and stuff like that. So, like, man, those those things are like rife with uh, so courageous and and very traditionally manly heroes, and he's definitely not that as you as you put so well. Yeah, and I would say you know, and I, I'll be the first to admit uh, my experience with pre-90s anime, especially pre-90s mecha anime, is a little limited. The stuff that I've gotten to review for Anime News Network has really kind of expanded my knowledge a lot, but it's far from comprehensive. Well, you reviewed Ideon, so you basically have seen... You, you've seen the... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, just no, totally well, kidding. no that, I mean, so it's true. Like, uh, with Space Runaway Ideon, you could see that the genre was kind of experimenting with different kinds of, of protagonists. You know, you'd have mm. your classically heroic, successful heroes, or, you know, especially in the case of uh, Ideon, you'd have characters that were maybe a little more flawed, a little more prone to failure. But I don't think I can point to an example of a show that just outright formed like the cornerstone of its whole plot is that our main character is a child that has no clue what the hell he's doing and he's terrified and he is not having a good time. You know, for 26 episodes, we're going to examine all of the ways that a pubescent boy should not be in charge of the fate of mankind because they can barely tie their shoes in the morning. And I think for a lot of people that go into science fiction, that go into anime looking for characters like Luke Skywalker that, yeah, they might start off kind of whiny, kind of unsure of themselves, but eventually they mature into the, the, the powerful, skilled hero that can kill the bad guy and save the day. I think that Shinji Ikari is in a lot of ways a direct challenge to that idea because, spoiler alert, um, he starts off the show as a scared, uncertain, ambivalent 
child and he ends the show as pretty much the same thing, mm. which isn't to say he doesn't have an arc. He has an amazing arc, but the show at no point tries to pretend that he's something that he's not, you know, the yeah. show doesn't, uh, there's no grow a beard moment. <laughs> at least in, or I guess I should say, at least in the original series, we'll get to the rebuild movies sometime, but in the original series, there, there really isn't a moment where Shinji fully enters into the classical role of the, of the, heroic figure and i can definitely see why for a lot of people that is frustrating but at the same time i think you're right in that it's maybe not fair to take this incredibly complex nuanced and well-written figure that embodies a lot of the kind of emotional experiences of, of people that suffer from you know depression anxiety loneliness and to just reduce him to a, a joke about not being able to pilot a giant robot um, I mean, to be honest, would any of us do do that much better in his situation? I don't know. If if someone just came up Not to me, me on the street and said, "Hey, you got to pilot this robot. If you fail, everything you know and love is dead. Congr- have fun." Yeah, I would. I would also be a little freaked out. Yeah, and and especially you know if I had his family dynamics. <laughs> yo, <laughs> yo, would... yo. So, um, I guess you know what? Yeah, Father's Day was just recently. And I've, I've I've seen a whole bunch of people online comment that Netflix had a golden opportunity to drop <laughs> uh, Evangelion on Father's Day. Um, but yeah, you're right. It doesn't help that Shinji has one of the worst dads in the history of anime. Um, pr- kind of the prototypical bad dad, right? Like he's like the bad dad against which most bad dads are judged. Indeed. To the point where nowadays, if you want to be a bad dad, you have to like literally commit genocide while you're kicking a bunch of puppies uh, in order to even get to the top tier rankings. Gendo, bad dad gatekeeper. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Um, We've talked a lot about kind of the original series impact on the industry, Mm -hmm. and I don't want to dive too much into the rebuild movies just because I I kind of think those warrant discussions in and of themselves, Mm -hmm. especially once we've kind of revisited the series uh but just really quick um do you have a lot of experience with the rebuild films do you have uh, a special amount of fondness or dislike for them at all so i have seen the first two oh, i have okay. not seen 3.33 <laughs> that uh, one is that one's a doozy i've heard yeah that one's an, a complete departure which honestly i mean i you know and I, i'm out there on the front lines of you know of standing for evangelion i i love the original tv show uh but we will always have that tv show and whatever uh hideki on those reasons are for wanting to revisit this story uh i'm fine with him doing uh his own thing again doing a new thing a new take on it i don't think it existing is a problem i have no issue with it and you know even by the second movie uh it it departs quite a bit from the way the uh the tv show goes and i think it's interesting and it's and it's fun and uh i don't know if i will ever like hold them in like the same regard as the tv series and that that could be my own just nostalgia and things like that like time and place talking um 
but but I think that they are they look amazing and they are again an extremely fascinating kind of experiment that I'm curious to see how it ends. Yeah, and that's the thing for me is that you know I I know that they're kind of supposed to ostensibly stand alone as their own entity outside of the original series, and maybe it's just because Evangelion was such a formative aspect of my entire childhood of, of, of my, of my media literacy of my, of my growth as a person that I, I just can't separate it from the original. Um, I have no problem with a show doing its own thing to be honest. Like you said, I, I would rather it do its own thing than just be a really shiny beat for beat remake of the original show because we already have the original show. And, you know, I feel like Anno's time and money would be better spent on, on other projects if he was just going to remake the show. But no, you're right. As far as the ending goes, where I, I feel the rebuild films are very much the first three parts of a four part story. And especially with the third film, um, they're like, there just isn't a conclusion yet. And so I, so many of my thoughts on the rebuild films are going to really depend on how that last movie goes. Um, I think the movies, like you said, are beautiful. I think they do some really interesting things with the story. I think some of the changes that they've made don't fall in line with what I would say is kind of the whole point of Evangelion. And, and we can talk about those, you know, more later on down the road. There's a lot of changes where I just don't know if they're going to amount to anything or not. You know, I, I just don't know if at the end of the day, when I see the whole picture, it's going to feel like its own cohesive thing, or if it's just going to remain, like you said, an interesting experiment. Um, but the rebuild movies are out there. They are definitely, I think, more accessible, uh, at least for the next few days, they will be. We're recording this on the, on the 18th. And so for the next uh, three or four days, the rebuild of Evangelion movies are going to be the most accessible way to watch Evangelion. They don't really hold a candle to the original series, but I think they offer an interesting compliment to them. They're, they're very complimentary. Yeah, I think, like, it sounds silly for me having not seen all of them because I may feel differently later or someone else might feel differently. But me personally, I can't imagine being... Like, if I met someone who's like, oh, yeah, I've seen Evangelion. I've seen all the movies. I'd be like, no, you. I don't think you've really experienced the show uh evangelion sort of in its most kind of distillated pure concentrated form <laughs> well no and no i mean i think you're 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 right on the money and so much to the point one of the things with 3.3 3 3 uh one of the things with with the third rebuild film that i've found so difficult to wrestle with, right? Because uh, to be perfectly frank, when I first saw 3.33, I was a little befuddled um, without giving too much away since you haven't seen it, it. It departs from the source material almost entirely to the point where the plot itself is in many ways unrecognizable. But at the same time, at least from, from where I stand, a lot of the choices that it makes, where the characters go, where the plot goes, a lot of them only really mean anything to me because I know how they're different from the original series. Mm -hmm. it, you know, and I, I almost wonder 
I would be curious, you know, hopefully we can get the opinion of someone who's like only seen the rebuild movies. Um, what it would be like for them to, to watch that third movie and just go, Oh yeah, this just must be what the story of Evangelion is because it is nuts. That movie is nuts. <laughs> it is, it is bonkers. I, I love a lot of it, but again, it's like the first half. It's almost like Avengers Endgame. Not Avengers Endgame. It's like Avengers Infinity War where you, you get to the end of that movie and it's this intense, exciting experience, but it's also not done. And, you know, for a lot of people, Avengers Endgame really kind of brought the story together and cemented it. So I guess I'm, I'm saying I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0, which is the real title that Hideaki Oh my Yano God, is, is it really? Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, <clears throat> well, no, no, no. So in Japanese, the title is uh, Evangelion and then it's um, the musical notation for repetition which I, I don't know how you would wow. say that. And so the, um, so the, the English title is uh, Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0. So what you're saying means. is <laughs> Evangelion is the, the prince of, of anime. Yeah, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. Um, but we'll talk more about Rebuild um, into the future. I would love to be able to cover those movies as well. Um, at, at some yeah. point once we've covered the show. But for and this now, isn't even... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. Keep going. I was just going to say, this is not even to to talk about the, the manga, which is also its own take. And you can't even sort of say, like, oh, this is some alternate take on the story. This is because, you know, Sadamoto is as instrumental as anyone in making the original TV series what it was. I know. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. Um... Uh, I've only just recently come into possession of the entire manga series. I've read the first few volumes already. And so, you know, I'm, I'm a little familiar with how it deviates and how it doesn't. But you're right. I mean, you know, Sadamoto's voice and his style and his ideas are just as much a part of the DNA of Evangelion as Hideaki Anno's and all the other people that were responsible for producing the show. Um, we'll probably talk about the manga at some point, especially once I finish it, because you know, there are some instances where, you know, where that story goes, where the characters kind of end up. Mm -hmm. I, I think they're pretty neat and yes. I don't necessarily think that they're worse than the show. I don't know if I'd say better, but I, I think they're just as valid. Um, it's just a val it's just as valid an interpretation of that story as the anime version in a lot it's, of ways. Yeah. It's a wonderful compliment to have to it, I think. Um, now, before we wrap things up, um, we'll probably want to talk about the actual Netflix release of the show. What if no one talks about it? Wouldn't that be sad? <laughs> you know, I, don't, uh, yeah. I don't think that's going to happen, but it no, just crossed my mind no. as we talk about it. Like, what if we're all preparing for an apocalypse, a, a take-ocalypse that doesn't occur? Yeah, all these kids watch it and they're like, yeah, it's fine. This is good. You know, it's all right. Like, I'm, I'm down with it. The animation's <laughs> kind of bad. <laughs> right, yeah. I don't really like the ending, but you know, a lot of anime don't have great endings. I'm not going to get that. <laughs> of course, Twitter will be very understanding. Right? Oh, oh, of course, I, mean, yeah. I can roll with it. <laughs> um, but so Netflix is, you know, they're the ones that reacquired the rights. It was um, a, a little bit of a kerfuffle because I know a lot of people assumed that it would go to Funimation, but Netflix with their infinite 
uh, vault of money that they have stashed somewhere. <laughs> um, they threw enough of it at uh, Guy Nax in the studio car to get those rights. And of course, um, now I know you were telling me that you weren't quite as uh, keyed into this this controversy, but I definitely saw how um, how impassioned a lot of people got um, because the big sort of piece of news about the re-release of Evangelion on Netflix is that uh, for a multitude of complicated and boring legal reasons that uh, essentially boil down to um, the original studio that did the English dub for Evangelion uh, ADV is not out of it's it's not out of business but it is essentially defunct they barely release anything anymore and the um, the key players that worked at ADV have, have gone on to found their own much more successful um, distribution companies, but they still retain the rights to that original English dub, the one that starred Spike Spencer, Shinji, and um, Allison Keith as Masato, and um, oh my goodness, I just forgot the name of the actress that plays Asuka. Um, it's Tiffany... Um, Tiffany Grant. Grant. Right? Yes, yeah. thank you. Mm-hmm. Tiffany Tiffany Grant is Asuka. She's my favorite character. Of course, I forget the, the one who plays <laughs> it. Um, but no, it always so, happens when you're recording. <laughs> every time. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Spike Spencer, Shinji, Allison Keith as Masato, Tiffany Grant as Asuka. Um, you know, these are not only the performers that, you know, gave these characters their original English voices back in um, the early 2000s, but they also carried over to those rebuild films when Funimation dubbed the rebuild of Evangelion movies. A lot of the cast members had to be, you know, uh, replaced and and shuffled around, but um, the core kind of set of Shinji and Misato and Asuka stuck around, and so they've been playing these characters for decades. And a lot of people just naturally assumed that when it came time to re-record a dub for the TV series that Spike Spencer and Allison Keith Ship, as she's now known, and Tiffany Grant would just be part and parcel with with the show. That you know, there for a lot of people, and I, I will say, kind of for myself, because the English dub was how I've always preferred to experience the show. You know, for a lot of people, those actors are kind of just as much a part of the Evangelion mm-hmm. experience as their Japanese counterparts. But long story short, Netflix, for whatever reason, decided to not recast Spencer and Keith and Grant in those roles. And from the way that the old performers discussed things on Twitter, it, it definitely seems like they were essentially kicked to the curb sidelined they weren't really they were brought into audition but almost as like a kind of token all right we let you audition but we never really had any intention of casting Mm -hmm. you kind of thing and the internet being what it is absolutely no one was mad about that at all and no one ever talked about it again um no the people were upset and i you know i understand the the just how difficult the politics of the acting business even the voice acting business can be and so i'm not out here saying that people should you know, be getting out their torches and pitchforks or anything, you know, don't harass anyone. Harassment no. is bad. Um, whoever they've gotten to recast uh, these these parts, I'm sure that they are going to be doing their absolute best. And they have a whole lot of pressure that I can only imagine that they're under. And they definitely do not need um, people on the internet yelling at them for decisions that were out of their hands. But um, I, I do want to ask, um, what are you... Uh, as far as this new dub is concerned, what are you anticipating? What are you expecting? Do you have any kind of hopes or fears as far as how they're going to approach the story and these characters? 
Uh, if only, you know, if Jaden Smith plays Shinji, then I'll be oh, no, God. I'm <laughs> Oh God! Are you are you you proposing a full? Are are you saying that uh, in the first episode they're gonna they're gonna be in a Neo Yokio three? That's right, and God, uh, his classmates will be played by Jesus and Mero. It'll be great. You are Uh, you are killing me. I am. I think I think the podcast is canceled now. I think we just canceled the podcast. I think it's done. Thanks everyone for listening. Um, Okay, well, Jaden Smith is. I'm gonna add podcast killer to my Twitter bio. Oh my goodness, Jaden Smith is no, no. This is be- a this is a total this is a total joke. I um, <laughs> so what do I expect? Um, well, to address like the earlier things you said, I do. I also think it's a shame in a lot of ways that that the um, you know, the legacy cast didn't get to uh, you know, voice the new translation. Um. And so that would have been, I think, really a, a real treat for longtime fans. Um, I guess, though, I mean, I don't know, maybe at the same time, the thinking is, well, we want to get a lot of new fans, so we need to have these new voices that maybe they recognize and gravitate to. I'm not sure, but um, I... I will definitely be intrigued, like as to who that they've gotten to play these just uh, incredibly memorable. Uh, I can't use the word iconic again. I'm looking for <laughs> a different word, but like, yeah, these just like uh, these super duper well known and uh, archetypical now in anime characters. I mean, this is going to be really fascinating for me to see, and I, uh, I, th- you know. I think that the performances, I expect them to be good. I, I You know, Netflix, obviously, this was not a, a cheap acquisition, so I'm sure that they want it to be good. Um, and I think it's probably not a, a controversial statement to say that, like, I, I, probably in a lot of ways, like, the the anime dubbing has has become, has gotten better over time. yeah no um i I will be as a as a ride or die defender of the original english dub yes it's corny yes it is a little hackneyed in spots it's super cheesy and that's partially why i love it there are definitely things to improve um and as much as i am sad that you know those kind of classic roles are going to be maybe a little less familiar to me than I would personally and selfishly like um, with these new actors. Um, Yeah, no, the dubbing industry has only become more reliable, I I guess, in the past 20 years. Um, The translations have gotten more accurate. I think the performers have been given a lot more opportunity to give those characters life in a way that maybe makes sense to Western sensibilities. Mm -hmm. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, something especially that I've noticed a lot in recent anime, um, especially like in a lot of the Sentai dubs and in some of the the Netflix dubs is I think that we're getting a lot better at at letting the teenagers sound like teenagers. Um, Like, and I know that obviously none of the actors are going to be like real teenagers, but, I I guess I mean that, you know, even in those original roles, a lot of the cast members, you know, they sounded like anime characters 
in a way that made sense for 1997. But, you know, so much of the story kind of hinges on the characters being young and being inexperienced and being Mm -hmm. um, naive that I think that there are a lot of ways that new performers could actually capture that in a way that maybe makes more sense for 2019. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I'm looking forward to maybe hearing a Shinji in English that, that actually sounds like a little kid and not so much like um, an actor playing a little kid, if that makes sense. Yeah. I hate, to, <laughs> I hate to dunk too much on, on, uh, Mr. Spencer there, but yeah, don't, no, don't, but don't I, listen to him spike. I, I'm here for you. <laughs> but I'm here I, for you. I agree. Uh, I think, I think it'll be tough to outdo Tiffany Grant uh, in some ways because I could, I just really love the way she talks. Like I could just listen to her talk and, you know, and she plays to arguably the best character. Um, well, and I think a lot of people, know, so the fact that she also speaks German makes her voicing like a, a half German, half Japanese character actually work really well because when she gets those lines in German in that original dub, she... That, uh, now, the, when, if we're going to get like nitpicky, I really, really hope that they let Asuka speak German. And I really, really hope that whoever they got to play Asuka is able to deliver that German believably in the same way that Tiffany Grant was able to. Yeah. And the other character that I am most worried about now that we're talking about this, like you said, I hadn't been thinking about this very much, but oh boy, like Misato, um, she is my just most favorite, one of my most favorite characters in all of anime. Um, Drunk mom. I love her and, and didn't always, uh, but like, again, as, as, as dad doc, uh, she's another character who I was like, Oh man, like I am all about this character. I get you. You are incredible. And like, she's there's um, the, the person that plays her is going to have to like have a lot of range because boy, she's, you know, she is um, she's drunk and silly and flirty a lot, but she's also like a very believably put together uh, is she a colonel, I think, or a lieutenant? Like she's and she's in command uh, major, of the war. Major, major, I think, Ma- major Katsuragi, Yeah, that's right, that's right. So, but but extremely competent and believable in that role and that take charge. Uh, I'm in command, uh, sort of role. It's not cartoonish. It's really like just incredibly delivered. Um, and then in her kind of motherly moments too, and she has her her you know romantic subplot. So. Like, there's going to be a lot of different uh, attitudes and tones and and things that the actor is going to need to to nail. And uh, boy, I am now really anxious about how my favorite character is going to come out. In the I way know that I she's, wasn't before we started. Masato is she's the perfect embodiment of the character that is a total badass and at the same time a complete mess and the um the you know the 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 japanese actors obviously and the original dub you know for all of its faults it also you know allison keith ship was incredible at capturing like i said i mean she's like that drunk mom who you think just 
has no idea how to adult. And then the minute the shit hits the fan, she is the one that is completely in charge. And she is the one that is, you know, getting things done. And yeah, I mean, she's, I mean, she's to steal your word, iconic. And I, I definitely, I, I wish this new dub cast all of, all, all of the luck, all of the support in the world, because yep. um, not only are they kind of stepping into shoes that a lot of people might contend would be or should be filled by different performers, but they are also taking on one of the most iconic anime stories in the history of the medium. And so um, I deeply, deeply hope that all of you Evangelion fans, whether you're new or old, I hope you show them nothing but support and compassion and you that you recognize just how difficult what they're doing is because um, I I would not want to be the one to uh, to take on that mantle. It is uh, it's a big one. So for as, as 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 bitter as I might sound about the the loss of some of my my favorite performers, um, I want nothing but the best for this new cast because you know it is uh, it's an incredible opportunity, and I really I really hope and I really think that they are going to give it 110%. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, shoot, James, I forgot what I was going to say. Never mind. Oh, no. <laughs> we can move on. <laughs> That's uh, going to happen to me frequently. So, was it? Does it have anything to do with the copious amount of butt shots that Masato gets in the show? <laughs> because... <laughs> um, not opposed to that. Can I just say? I'm... I'm let, long may it continue. <laughs> like, uh... Mm, no, I actually, no, the, well, I was going to say, I did have, um, speaking of the new translation, um, I did have something, mm. uh, it's actually kind of popped up on the Anna Twitter discourse recently, and I was wanting to get your opinion on it. Um, there's been some talk recently with uh, Agretzko season two, um, and a lot of the anime that Netflix has been releasing of how the translators, um, especially the in-house translators in Netflix, um, in my experience, they definitely seem comfortable with a kind of loose interpretation of mm. the original Japanese, or um, I guess you could say they, they definitely take advantage of the artistic license to make those translations sound much more casual, I guess you could say, or, or much more amenable to what, you know, a, a Western Netflix audience might be expecting. And personally speaking, I'm actually all for that. I think that when, translation is too rigid when it's too kind of tied to the literal word for word um you know transposing from japanese to english that that can actually result in some pretty clunky dialogue but i wanted to know uh when it comes to that kind of loosey-goosey uh liberal approach to japanese to english translation are, are you a fan of that do you think that that's kind of the approach that people should take look if you guys want a weird sounding rigid stilted evangelion just go play xeno gears um that was that was harsh but fair i love xeno gears i love xeno yeah it's definitely yeah it's uh, it's rough (laughs) it's it's rough going as far as that translation is concerned Uh, uh, but you know i guess i don't really have a super strong opinion i mean i think like you were saying about voice actors i mean i think 
like translation as as someone who like for a couple of years in grad school like was a latin translator um part of the time like it's oh, really hard that's interesting yeah, well, I mean, uh, now you—I mean, you better believe I've forgotten that, <laughs> like it's, it, because you know these things are, of course, like muscles. If you don't use them, they just go away. And uh, I definitely hit a point in my life after grad school where I was like, "Guess who doesn't have time to do Latin? <laughs> Me." <laughs> but uh, and I, I mean, judging by um, judging by the books on my shelf, I would I would say ninety five percent of civilization would agree with you there. <laughs> <laughs> Right, but like, Zing. yeah, <laughs> the, take uh, that Latin. <laughs> um, but like, it's it's tough, and so I, um, gosh, whatever you know, style that translators like want to employ, like, I'm, they have like good reasons for doing it. But I think if I had to like come down on like actually pick a side and be interesting and have a take, I would go with you that I think um, it's probably for the best if um, the dialogue uh, sounds natural. Uh, if you had to, you know, if you have to to choose between natural and accurate and you don't have both, you want to go with natural, um, it, it especially, you know, the goal, I think, of of this new kind of rebirth of Evangelion on Netflix here is to like, we, we want to get a bunch of new fans into our favorite thing. Right. And, and so uh, the best way to do that is to not have the dialogue be weird and clunky and uh, have it be something that is like as inclusive as possible and, and as uh, natural and like that flows good in English uh, as possible. So um, yeah, I think I think I'm with you. Read this. It, it's so silly to me when people are yelling at translators for like changing um, some terminology or, or rephrasing something, or or especially replacing like Japanese idioms or maybe puns that just literally would not work into something that is a little more palatable for an English audience. Like, I mean, the, translating is an art. You know, people forget that. People forget that translating right. is more than just plugging something into Google Translate. Like, you really do have to make choices about what will communicate the fundamental meaning of what is being said the best. And so, um, you know, I don't know. Again, Netflix hasn't really released any details as far as to, like, who's working on this new translation or you know, what their past credits might be. But my hope is that whoever is translating this new season is, you know, willing to deviate from that rigid one-for-one -one translation uh, in order to make things sound natural. That's my personal take. I'm sure there are a lot of people that won't agree, and that's fine. But Yeah. You know how we used to, in, you know, the fan sub days, get... Uh, copiously, like super long, like translator notes oh, taking do up I? like yeah. three quarters of the screen. Yeah, uh, or or when people just wouldn't translate a term for the sake of trying to sound like more authentically Japanese. Mm -hmm. Even like I get it, I get that you love the language and that you want to preserve as much of it as possible. But uh, when you're trying to uh, to rope in, like you said, a, a whole new generation of fans that may be a more approachable translation. I mean, in an ideal world, 
you know, we're not we're not like constrained by the limits of any uh, physical storage medium. So we can have, you know, a, a bunch of special features and little vignettes and stuff like that. And, I, you know, ideally more than just like, here's the trailer, which, you know, they have for every show on Netflix. Like, it'd be cool if there was like, you know, for for really interesting or pivotal translation moments uh or or things that they had to you know just kind of uh change because like you said this is an idiom or this is rooted in japanese history in some sort of way that like it just can't be localized in a way that makes sense maybe there's like a five minute video and the translator's like oh we had to do this and this is what it means that that would be superb if physical media is dying which I guess it is, <laughs> or if at the very least a majority of the content we consume in these here future times is going to be streaming, let's get some bonus features, guys. I mean, bonus features are nice. People like those. And I- I'm with you, Doc. I think if we can get some making of, some behind the scenes, some commentary tracks, you remember those? Um, oh, man. The, <laughs> I-, I don't, maybe, maybe not, because then we'd be out of a we'd be out of business, but you know, <laughs> right. but something, you know, something to supplement that. I'm tremendously excited to see it again and to watch it again with another person. Like it's been, you know, since like the first couple times I watched it with another person, but in my like, you know, real, real grown up life, uh, I, it's been kind of a solitary experience and I've really like, just honed in on like tried to absorb as much of it as possible and like like be quiet guys my ava's on like leave me be uh but it'll be it'll be cool to watch it with another person and just kind of uh just dissect sounds so not like what we want to do <laughs> but well, but to, I mean, it's, it, to experience it together yes, to really have that exactly that shared experience that's you know title job yeah. right that's that's really, and, and just to reiterate, I mean, that really is what I want this series within the kind of Kick the Beckett podcast label to be is, you know, for us and for you, the listener, I really want it to just be a fun and communal way to experience the show, especially in this day and age when you you don't always have an opportunity. It's kind of hard to like get a bunch of friends over to, to watch, you know, five episodes of a TV show. So hopefully, if nothing else, um, me and Doc and uh, the other guests that will hopefully be able to get along for this show will be there to make the experience of Evangelion maybe a little less solitary. Absolutely. Boy, there's just so much that I can't wait because I know I've forgotten so much uh, because it's been you know, just a handful of years since I've, since I've seen it. And what you mean, you don't remember every single scene? I don't remember every shot. Unfortunately, this is not the way my, uh, I thought you were a real fan. (laughs) My, my, uh, anxiety riddled brain, uh, (laughs) definitely like the anime slips through the cracks, unfortunately, but, but yeah, I mean, to, to, there's going to be some new, some familiar, it's going to be a different way for me to experience it. And, uh, I, I am excited to, interact with other people that are experiencing it especially for the first time i mean i know that we're all dreading the bad takes and you know that like the internet discourse is such that like there will be a hey guys ava is bad actually like oh, a, ton, yeah. a ton of i can't of, i can't wait a ton of this but like i think for every evangelion was never good and here are 10 reasons why like <laughs> right i think for every like nine of those 
there will be like someone who was genuinely and positively affected by it that articula- articulates that in a really new and beautiful way. And it makes all the bad takes worth it. Uh, and I'm excited to to just be a part of that, that new, this new wave of fandom. Although I, I got to say, if anyone comes out here with like a, a darling in the Franks is better than Evangelion piece. I'm probably going to have to quit the internet. Oh, that might man. That, that might be my final straw. Um, like no, uh, no ill will to you, darling in the Franks fans out there. But anyone who has followed my my writing for uh, Anime News Network or my appearances on the Warrior Dish Show podcast, I have a very complicated relationship with that show, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's um, Evangelion, but without all the good stuff. Mm-hmm. But we'll get we'll, we'll get into that. We'll save that for later. Um, for now, I think this is a good place for us to sign off, and we will be joining you guys again here very shortly for our official uh, our first podcast, which is going to be covering the first four episodes of the show. Um, each uh, each episode in the Experiencing Evangelion series is probably going to be between three and four episodes, just kind of depending on what feels natural. Look forward to those, and for future updates. Thank you so much, Doc, for joining me on this adventure. I am incredibly excited. Now, uh, just so people are aware, where can they find you? Where can they find your work? So you can always find me at The Subtle Doctor on Twitter. And uh, you can find my podcast, What Are We Desho? Uh, the, the Twitter link is in my bio. Uh, that has its own Twitter account, and you can follow that for updates. But if you Google... What are we Desho? Like we're on YouTube, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can follow us through the Twitter, anywhere like that. Um, and uh, yeah, that's where you can find me lurking about online. This is the Kick the Becca podcast. This is our Experiencing Evangelion series. And I hope that you all join us for future episodes on this weird, wonderful, and wild journey. And we look forward to seeing you in the future. Thank you so much. And Doc, thank you for joining me as always. It was my pleasure. <laughs>